Hola mi gente, bienvenidos. I'm your host Lore and this is Creepy Chisme. Some stories and info are not suitable for all, especially young children. Listen at your own risk. Hola mi gente! Yes, I'm back! It's really me! <laughs> Yours truly, your girl, Lore. How y'all doing? Me? Um, well, <laughs> I just had my first week back to work and honestly... It wasn't as bad as other years. Um, teachers, if you just had your first week of work, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Someone actually asked me the other day, because, you know, at least at the school I work at, we're like a big family. We just check in real quick, like, are you doing okay? How is your day going? Blah, blah, blah. And somebody asked me how my day was going Friday afternoon. And <laughs> I was like, I feel like I'm herding sheep. Because you're like, stay in line, stay in line, come on. Like, literally the whole first week of school, that's all you're doing. <laughs> like I feel like, uh, what are those, the, the airline guiding people? Like, this way, this way. Nope, nope, get in line, get in <laughs> That's literally all I said all week. Anyway, yeah, it was a good week though. Not going to complain. It was so good to see the kids, just to talk to them, hear their stories about their summer, and to see my past students too. They always come up and give me a hug and get so excited to see you. I just felt like everybody was in a good mood. We have a new principal who seems to be amazing so far, but it's still early in the year. <laughs> I just, we've had a lot of bad experiences with principals and admin, so... Feeling hopeful for this year, definitely. I am working with first grade again, so that's always fun. And usually I jump between two classes and this year I'm only in one classroom. So I'm super excited about that and all the work I can actually get done and achieve this year with the students. So that's gonna be super fun. I love the person that I'm working with this year. She's super creative and so am I, so I can't wait to see what we do together. We worked together last year, but it wasn't the same as having like one class because I was in splitting my time between two classes, but also being pulled in a hundred other directions. So yeah, I just, I'm feeling very hopeful for this year. I hope all of you teachers out there, you know we are... <laughs> underappreciated, underpaid, and stressed. I am in full support of my teachers. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> anyway, I just want to say once again, mi gente, thank you for your patience, but the wait is over. Creepy Chisme is back, baby. And guess what? Spooky season is almost here. Bring on the fall, bring on the hot cider, bring on the spiced wine, the pumpkin donuts, the jack-o'-lanterns. Oh, I love it all. How many of y'all out there are like me? And when it's Halloween, you shop for like year-round decor, like home decor. 
I love Halloween time because I do. I love shopping for like a lot of things in my bedroom, but like just around the house too. Yeah. So I go buck wild. But yes, I am so ready for the fall. I'm definitely going to make my way to the apple orchard this year. Cannot wait. But yes, I'm here to finish the second season off with some really great creepy stuff for you. This season will go until early December and then back sometime end of January, maybe beginning of February. Not sure. But for now, let's get the show on the road, mi gente. Let's start with an updater story I've recently heard. Now, this update is actually from a couple weeks ago, but I still want to share it with y'all since I took a break and all. But can we talk about the nasty ass R. Kelly and how he was recently sentenced to 30 years in prison? I believe you've been caught. <laughs> Finally, this dude, come on. He was sentenced on Wednesday, June 29th by the United States District Judge Anne M. Donnelly. Now, Steve K. Francis, the acting executive associate director of Homeland Security Investigations, was quoted saying, quote, R. Kelly is a prolific serial predator who utilized his wealth and fame to prey on the young and vulnerable by dangling promises of fame, fortune, and stardom for his own sexual gratification. For nearly 30 years, Kelly and his accomplices silenced victims through bribery, intimidation, blackmail, and physical violence, confident that they were immune to justice. End quote. Damn! Kelly was charged with many counts including illegal sex with minors, sexual exploitation of minors, bribery, coercion, and forced labor. Now, a while back, I watched the documentary Surviving R. Kelly, and it was truly disturbing, not gonna lie. And I swear, if I ever, ever hear any of his music, I'm throwing shit. I don't care if they were songs of my youth, hold him accountable, and please stop playing his music. Please. Now, that's really all I wanna say on that matter. Thank goodness he's charged, though it's it's over. Now, honestly, I think he still got off pretty easy, but I hope they give him a warm welcome in prison. <laughs> Another celebrity recently sentenced on June 28th was Ghislaine Maxwell. I think that's how you say her name. I'm not sure, but you know, Epstein's girl. Mm-hmm. She's been in custody and recently was sentenced to 240 months in prison by U.S. Circuit Judge Allison J. Nathan. Last year on December 29th, she was found guilty of conspiracy to entice minors to travel to engage in illegal sex acts, conspiracy to transport minors to engage in illegal sex acts, sex trafficking, conspiracy and sex trafficking of a minor. Yeah, all that. Now, from 1994 to 2004, Maxwell assisted, facilitated, and participated in Jeffrey Epstein's abuse of minors, among other things, helping Epstein recruit, groom, and abuse victims known to the couple to be under the age of 18. Mm-hmm. Now, some young as 14, 
Um, Maxwell also was sentenced five years of supervised release after her sentence is fulfilled, and she was also slapped with a $750,000 fine. And if you're like me and can't figure out how long 240 months is, it's about 20 years. Yeah, I had to figure it out. <laughs> so this is really good news and all, but come on. What about that list, Ghislaine? Who cares if it's powerful people? Say their names, baby. Actually, I think some of that list came out and I was shocked by some of the names on there. But also not shocked because if you're part of Hollywood and you're big in Hollywood, I don't trust you. Even if I like you, I don't trust you. Brad Pitt, baby, I still don't trust you. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this woman is found unalive in her cell one day. Money is a scary thing, y'all. Very scary. And if I was her, I would be terrified, even locked up in a cage. But good. Live in fear, bitch. Anyway, two disgusting humans. I know I wasted my breath talking about them. And you best believe your girl is going to be throwing hands if I find out either of these two assholes get released early or on good behavior. Hollywood in general is like a crazy place run by money, greed, and like that, um, like that one attorney said, the thought of being immune from getting in trouble. Yeah, a lot of celebrities feel that way. Crazy, right? All right, mi gente. You know what time it is. It is time to get creepy. Have I got a fun one for you today, mi gente. I have been wanting to talk about this topic for so long, and this is just the beginning. The world of horror movies. My favorite genre of movies. Now, did you know that there are some people who can't watch horror movies? I know, crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't get it. Because, come on, it's not real. Like, if you're 30 and you still believe in monsters, I mean, there are monsters. Don't get me wrong. There's monsters. There's evil. But, come on. <laughs> Now, I enjoy a good paranormal movie or a good slasher or gore movie. Sometimes. So, I started wondering, when did the horror movie genre start? Like, how, who started this? Now, what I found was really interesting. And so, before we get into the main topic, I just want to do like a little fun history moment. Now, what I found was that sometime in the late 1800s is when it all kind of started. And this was still sort of around the silent film era. Now, credit is given to George Méliès in the 1890s. So he was a French director and actor who starred in his short films. He was known for The House of the Devil, 1896, and The Bewitched, 1897. Now, he is credited for some of the first camera tricks, like the stop trick, where he'd make it look like something vanished. He would do that like on Bewitched. Which, imagine living in that time and being like, oh, witchery. Like, how did he do that? <laughs> Other directors that made horror movies around this time were Edwin S. Porter, Walter R. Booth, 
George Albert Smith and the first woman to direct a film. Yes, queen! Alice Guy Blaché. Now, Blaché made thousands of films, but most of them were lost. I wonder why, because she's a woman, right? Now, it is said that she inspired people like Alfred Hitchcock and even Albert Einstein, who I don't think Einstein directed any movies, but somehow <laughs> she inspired him. Now, moving on, by 1910, horror films spread rather quickly. People loved it. But now, films started expressing major anxieties. We see a lot of darkness, loud sounds, boom, bang, bah, you know, scare the people a little. They called it expressionism. But once World War I began, countries like Germany, they started to ban foreign films. So then Germany started making their own films because they were like, Germans only watch German films. So they made their own. <laughs> I can't do a German accent. I'm sorry. That was very rude. But again, the theme in the movies added another take. They added in a lot more violence, cruelty, and betrayal. Because remember, a war is going on. So people are thinking about this. People are seeing this. So films like this brought on new famous directors like Fritz Lang, who made Metropolis in 1927, and F.W. Murnau, who created the famous... My favorite, Nosferatu, in 1922. Now, after the war, Germany was still making some pretty good horror movies in the filming market. Now, many have influenced popular films in Hollywood today. In the early 1920s, American horror picked up with movies like The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 1923, and The Phantom of the Opera in 1925. In the 1930s is kind of when our monsters came alive, such as Dracula in 1931, Frankenstein. Also 1931, The Mummy, 1932, The Invisible Man, 1933, King Kong, also 1933, The Bride of Frankenstein, I love that movie, 1935, and The Werewolf of London, also 1935. So now we're moving into the 40s, and people were kind of over the monster thing, so overrated. So they started using the monsters to make collab movies, and this was also the time when horror comedy was made. I love horror comedy. How could you not? So films such as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, 1941, Cat People, 42, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, 1943, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, 1948, and Mighty Joe Young, 1949. Also, one of the first major haunted house movies was released, The Uninvited, 1944. Now, in the 1950s, movies again were influenced by different cultures and the fear of invasions due to the Cold War that was going on. Also, in the 50s, this is like when nuclear proliferation created giant mutant creatures. So during this time, something really cool was happening. 3D filming also came into play. Stunting and using vivid colors to show violence, blood. Mm -hmm. Imagine seeing that on screen for the first time. Uh, Japanese, Italian, and French horror were, were like super booming at this time. 
So the 50s gave us movies such as The Thing from Another World, 1951, House of Wax, 1953, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954, Godzilla, 1954, Diabolic, such a good movie, 1955, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, amazing, 1956, The Blob and The Fly, both in 1958, and House on Haunted Hill, 1959. So movies are getting better, y'all. As the years go on, people are challenging, pushing the limits a little bit more. Now in the 60s, movies reflected the social revolution of the era. More controversial due to violence and sexual content. Ooh, this is where the boobies come in. We've got slasher films. Um, and George Romero's famous Night of the Living Dead, 1968. So we've got zombies, because that movie changed zombie movies forever. Famous directors and actors during this time were Alfred Hitchcock, Vincent Price, love me some Vincent Price, Herschel Gordon Lewis, and Roman Polanski. Now the 60s gave us movies such as 13 Ghosts, 1960, Eyes Without a Face, which... I just saw this movie for the first time the other day. It was pretty good and a little creepy. 1960. The Little Shop of Horrors. 1960. Love that movie. Psycho also. 1960. Peeping Tom. 1960. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I love that movie. 1962. The Birds. 1963. Blood Feast. 1963. Also 1963. The Haunting. Repulsion. 1965. And a true classic, Rosemary's Baby, 1968. These movies were really good. So if you lived in the 60s and you got to see these movies for the first time, I envy you. All right, moving into the 70s, 1970s. Now, the 70s pushed the controversy even further. So now we've got social issues uh, such as sexism, consumerism, religion, war, and uh, more sexual activity and violence. So here we see some of our first cannibal films, and now we're really getting into like the shock factor in films that made people run out screaming like, oh my God, I can't believe they put that in that movie. Yeah, trying to shock the audience. Now, modern slasher films really take off in this decade too, because the 70s were known for movies like Vampiros Lesbos, 1971, Blackula, that's a good movie. 1972, The Exorcist, <gasps> 1973, The Last House on the Left, 72, The Wicker Man, 1973, Black Christmas, 1974, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, which I will say when I first saw The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the classic, the scene where the girl's hanging on a hook, I still can't watch that. Like, it is so, so shock factor, dude. Whoa. Jaws 1975 changed the lives of many, that movie. <laughs> the Rocky Horror Picture Show 1975. Carrie 1976. The Omen 1976. The Hills Have Eyes 1977. Suspiria, amazing movie, 1977. Dawn of the Dead, 1978, Halloween, true classic, 1978, 
Alien 1979, The Amityville Horror 1979, and When a Stranger Calls 1979. The 70s gave us some real horror classics there that have been recreated many, many times. Now, the 1980s were all about the slasher films, adding in a lot of comedy. Also in the 80s, horror books were being adapted into films, such as novels by Stephen King. And during this decade, the stalker-type thrillers became super popular. And I'm gonna say that's because of Halloween. Now, the 80s gave us The Shining, 1980, Friday the 13th, 1980, An American Werewolf in London, 1981, The Evil Dead, 1981, My Bloody Valentine, also 81, Poltergeist, 82, Ghostbusters, 84, Gremlins, 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street, also 1984, Demons, Fright Night, 1985, Reanimator, also 1985, The Lost Boys, so good, 1987, Predator, also 87, Child's Play, mm-hmm, that movie messed up some of y'all, I know, 1988, Pet Cemetery, 1989. Now, I was born towards the end of the 80s, but a lot of these movies I watched when I was like four or five, just because my older cousins would watch them and I'd be like hiding behind the couch like, I'm not scared, but I was terrified. So these movies definitely scared me. <laughs> now in the 1990s, it was a huge success for the horror movie genre, even having horror movies and actors win Academy Awards. So now the funding for these horror films is like larger scale type movies and was growing super fast. The slasher films made a comeback and we start to see comic book adaptations and some Asian horror movie inspiration. Also around this time we see our first found footage movies and they surprisingly do rather well. So the 90s gave us movies like Arachnophobia 1990. Ghost, 1990, Misery, also 1990, The Silence of the Lambs, 1991, Bram Stoker's Dracula, 92, Candyman, 1992, Leprechaun, 93, the greatest movie ever made, Interview with the Vampire, 1994, Fight Me, I Dare You, (laughs) Seven, 1995, The Craft, 1996, Scream, oh yeah, the Scream franchise starts here, 1996, From Dusk Till Dawn, this movie scared the shit out of me, 1996. Um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, 97. Ring You, 1998. Urban Legend, 98. Audition, 1999. The Blair Witch Project, 99. And The Sixth Sense, 1999. Now, when we entered into the 21st century, movies started to get remade, both foreign and American horror movies. But still some really great movies came out of the early 2000s. So we had Final Destination came out in 2000, Scary Movie 2000. Now these were some really big franchise movies. The Others 2001, 28 Days Later 2002, Resident Evil 2002, The Ring 2002, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. If you've never seen the 2003 The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's actually really good. I liked it. Dawn of the Dead, 2004, The Grudge, 2004, Saw, started in 2004, Shudder, 2004, Hostel, 2005, Halloween was remade in 2007. I can't believe that. I feel like it was just yesterday 
that's how you know you're old because like time like it just zooms by when you're old so like I feel like I just saw that at the theater last year <laughs> but it was 2007 the orphanage 2007 cloverfield 2008 prom night 2008 the strangers 2008 friday the 13th 2009 um i don't remember the remake of friday the 13th I'm, i know i saw it but maybe that's because it wasn't good i don't know i don't remember it paranormal activity 2009 zombie land 2009 black swan 2010 cabin in the woods love that movie 2012 the gift 2015 and 10 cloverfield lane 2016 now cloverfield and 10 cloverfield lane were two movies that i did not give a chance to and then later in life saw them and I was like, what? These are so underrated. Like, I actually really like them. I made my niece watch Cloverfield the other day and she was like, I don't want to watch this. I hate found footage, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, just watch it. Just watch it. And she watched it. She loved it. <laughs> she was actually really depressed at the ending. I'm not going to spoil it if you've never seen it. But she just sat there and was like, what? Why? <laughs> I'm like, girl, it's real life, okay? So yeah, some really good movies there too. So wow, yeah, that's just a brief little timeline of how movies have changed through the decades. I feel like from the 70s to now has been the biggest change in horror movies, but that's just my opinion. So have y'all seen all those movies or some? And I did leave out quite a few. I just named a little bit. But go to my Instagram and comment your favorite horror movie or movies. My all-time top five, no, 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 top three. Five is just too much pressure. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> My top three favorite horror movies, I would say one, no, let's start with three. Three, Halloween. It's just a classic and Michael Myers scares the shit out of me, still does, yeah. Two is The Shining because great movie, visually, storyline, characters, like everything about it is great. And then number one, The Exorcist. To this day, I think in my whole life I've seen this movie maybe twice, three times max. And to this day, I cannot watch that movie alone. I think those are like my top three. <laughs> they definitely keep me up at night when I watch them. So yeah, horror films, the thought behind creating those stories and characters were definitely inspired by the time and what was going on around us. Whatever those early filmmakers were going through seeing, they incorporated it into the movies. They still do that today. But I don't know who I was talking to the other day, but I was like, you know, movies today are boring. I feel like they nobody's being creative. Except for Jordan Peele, is that his name? His horror movies, the new ones, except Candyman because he did kind of recreate it. But oh, I loved that remake um, of Candyman. It was so good. But his movies are just original. Like, we need more people like that. Come on. Be brave. <laughs> Make some good horror movies for us. So definitely those movies were inspired by, you know, just life. Things that were going on. I've, I have a feeling we're going to see some movies about coronavirus and all that stuff. COVID, sorry. I'm pretty sure we'll see some COVID movies coming out soon. More plague stuff. Stuff like that. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that little history lesson <laughs> but would you be surprised that some of our favorite horror movie classics were inspired by actual events now you know when you see that at the beginning of a movie based on a true story 
Yeah, we know that it's a very vague statement and it can seriously only mean like one minor detail is true, right? But anyway, still inspired by something. Some incident or some person helped to bring to life a classic movie or character that scares the shit out of people. So that's what I'm going to be discussing here today. Some you may know about and some this might be your first time hearing about. Now, we aren't going to spend too much time on the movie itself, but I'm going to talk more about what inspired the movie and what actually happened. I don't have too many because these are pretty long and my history lesson was a little longer than I wanted, (laughs) but I felt like it was important for you to understand how horror movies have changed throughout the decades. I remember watching horror movies as a kid and then when you would see Based on a True Story, That made the movie scarier altogether. Even if the movie sucked, just seeing that it was based on a true story, that really scares you. So I just kind of got curious and was like, how much based on a true story are these movies? So the first movie I'm going to talk about is a true classic. One of my top three. Actually, two of these movies are my top three. (laughs) The Shining. Let's start with The Shining. So the movie was released on May 23rd, 1980. It starred Jack Nicholson as the lead character Jack Torrance and Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance. Now, if you haven't seen The Shining, what planet are you from? (laughs) Go watch it. Or maybe it's been a while, but really, just real quick, the movie is about Jack Torrance, who is a writer, and he takes this job as a caretaker at a remote hotel up in the Rocky Mountains. So for the entire winter, Jack and his wife and their son go stay at this hotel, and pretty much have free reign of the property. Sounds awesome, right? So Jack, being a writer, thinks that this would be perfect for him. Now the movie's name is because the son, Danny, and the head chef share this sort of like telepathic ability, and they can talk to each other. So the chef calls it shining. So anyway, being secluded and alone at the giant hotel, the family, they kind of all start having these paranormal experiences, these weird feelings and they start hearing shit, seeing shit, and eventually the dad loses it. Again, just go watch it. It's a, it's an amazing movie and it's really pretty too. Like it's the colors and everything, the patterns, so pretty and definitely one of a kind. So this movie was written after Stephen King's book, The Shining. However, if you read the book, then you'll find a lot of differences in the movie. Now Stephen King even stated that it was a poor adaptation of his book. But what actually inspired this book slash movie in the first place? Well, in 1974, just before the winter season, Stephen King and his wife checked into the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. The entire resort was getting ready to shut down for the winter due to the dangers of the Colorado winters up in the mountains. Mm Mm-hmm, gets pretty crazy up there, y'all. King and his wife, they were the only couple that checked in on that night. Now, at this time, King was having, like, super bad writer's block, and he also was dealing with it by drinking a lot. sad that a lot of writers go through that. Now, immediately, he realized how creepy it felt being the only two guests in this giant hotel. Now, it started getting to him mentally. He started having these nightmares, including one where the fire hose right outside of their room, room 217, started to unravel on its own, and chase his three-year-old son down the hallway. When King woke up in a panic and realized that it was only a nightmare, 
He lit a cigarette, got out of bed, and began the plot to The Shining. So the Stanley Hotel was his inspiration. It was built in 1909 for wealthy families to come stay at. Now the hotel is on a hill that overlooks the town of Vestas Park. Gorgeous, gorgeous hotel. I hope to get there one day. The hotel itself is gigantic. Inside, it's known for its narrow hallways, floral carpets, and a grand staircase. Now to stay here, it was by invite only. And you had better bring your Sunday best to walk around in. Oh yes. The wealthy elite spent their summers here walking the grounds, showing off their new fit, you know, playing pool or enjoying the large whiskey bar. Now in 1930, the hotel was sold and became more of like a hotel for just anybody to come stay at. However, eventually, guests started experiencing some spooky happenings, especially in room 217. Now, according to legend, a chief housekeeper named Elizabeth Wilson is said to haunt room 217. Now, the legend says that one night in 1911, Elizabeth was lighting lanterns and an explosion happened. So the explosion sent her flying through the air and through the floor. So the incident left her with two broken ankles. Even though it is said that Elizabeth survived, guests claim that she still haunts the room. A helpful spirit who folds clothes or picks up after them. Damn, I need, I need an Elizabeth. <laughs> Seriously, Elizabeth, girl, if you want to haunt somebody, come to me. One guest said that all her toiletries were organized when she came back to her room. Now, it is said that the spirit is not fond of men. Men have reported that they were poked while sleeping, and some couples have had a cold presence between them at night. Oh, so she's a cock block. Forget it, Elizabeth. <laughs> anyway, Stephen King claimed to have seen a young boy in his room, room 217, but that couldn't have been because they were the only two guests in the entire hotel. The hotel staff claimed the original owner, F.O. Stanley, also lingers through the hotel. He's been spotted in the billiard room and the bar. His wife's spirit has also been seen in the music room, playing a key or two on the piano. Another room that's very active in the hotel is room 401. This room is said to be haunted by a spirit believed to be Lord Dunraven. Female guests report that they are touched by an unseen presence, the feeling of an arm around them or waist or even a hand rubbing their leg while in bed. Oh, Mr. Dunraven. Mm -mm -mm. On the fourth floor of the hotel, lots of children have been seen frolicking in the halls and also heard. Apparently, way back when, the nannies and the littles would stay on the fourth floor. There are many other spirits and haunted rooms in this large hotel, including a phantom cat and dog, which may be spirits from the pet cemetery on the property. The hotel could very well be haunted by spirits, but did you know that below the hotel are caves full of limestone? Now, people think this can be the cause of the high paranormal energies throughout the Stanley Hotel, Whatever the case, there's no doubt that the Stanley Hotel is active and did take part in helping to create one of the best horror books and also one of the best horror films, The Shining.
The next movie I want to mention is Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. It's a 1977 American film starring Susan Lanier, Michael Berryman, and Dee Wallace. Now I saw the 2006 remake of this movie before I actually saw the original, and I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't a huge fan of, the, of either of them. But anyway, the movie's about a family that gets stranded in the California desert and they get stalked by these deformed cannibal monsters that live hidden in the mountains. It sounds pretty wild, right? However, I was super shocked to find out about Sonny Bean. Mi gente, this story is freaking crazy. Now, the legend of Sonny Bean is a story from Scotland who some think may or may not be true. But I'm telling you, I really hope it's not. <laughs> so Alexander Sonny Bean was born in the very late 1600s near Edinburgh, allegedly. This could damn well be cheesemen, but that's what I'm here for, right? To spread the cheesemen. Now, this wasn't recorded until 1755, but some historians think that this all began way before that. So closer to the earliest, they think closer to the early 17th century. Now, Bean is described as a merciless barbarian. Treated. So Bean meets a woman known as Black Angus Douglas, and the legend states that the couple decided to remove themselves from society and live in a cave over the sea. Sounds romantic, doesn't it? Now today that cave is known as Benoni Cave. I think that's how you pronounce it. Please forgive me, Sweden. Scotland. <laughs> Not Sweden, Scotland. <laughs> Please forgive me. So apparently this cave had a lot of little tunnels that were kind of connected and some were over a mile in depth. So they chose the right cave. So the couple start getting jiggy with it and they start popping babies out left, right, left, right. And it's said that Agnes gave birth to 14 damn kids. Holy, I don't even know. And then you're living in a cave. Where do they sleep? Jeez Louise. So for a family living in a cave, Bean is having to work triple full time just to hunt and fish. He's tired. He's over it. So he comes up with a plan. He starts out with robbery, stealing from anyone that comes near their dwelling, but then that quickly turns into murder. And eventually, the stealing and murder became a family affair. Come on, kids, let's get us a human. That's so crazy. Now, the more murders they commit, the hungrier they get. Not just for the thrill, but also for the meat. Yes, M-E-A-T, human meat. Now they targeted lone travelers, local passerbys, and because they were racking up bodies, this is how they decided to become cannibals. Now the legend states that they would, trigger warning y'all, <laughs> the legend states that they would chop up the bodies, quarter them, and pickle them. So they just had jars of human flesh and parts stacked up. Now the Bean family were thriving. Ugh. <laughs> So much so that the family grew in size. 18 grandsons, 14 granddaughters, and all born out of incest. All in the family, I guess. Eventually, there were about 45 of them. God damn. <laughs> 45 people living in a damn cave. Wow. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so they all took part in their craving for human flesh. There were so many of them that they would now go after groups of people. So many people had been reported missing that it was really clear that something was going on. People were catching on. So it was stated that even body limbs would wash ashore. So yeah, 
people knew something was up. However, the cannibal family were really good at hiding and going undetected. But every story has an end, and this one states that one day, while attacking a man and his wife who were on horseback, the Bean family would have their last hoorah. Now, the wife was taken down off her horse and ripped apart immediately, like they were starving. But the husband, he was like, hell no, and he fought with several of the deformed cannibals and actually managed to pull his sword and get away from them. Shortly after this incident, a group of 30 travelers on the same path witnessed the cannibals. So the husband that got away rode straight to Glasgow to tell King James. And the king personally led 400 men to the area because he was like, I gotta see this shit. I don't believe it. So he was like, let's go. And a gang of bloodhounds led them right to the cave where the cannibals lived. What they saw was something out of a nightmare. Jars of meat and limbs, severed body parts and flesh just hanging around the cave, bodies thrown around, and tons of stolen goods. The entire Bean family were taken to Laith, Scotland, where they would await execution. But when word got out and the cheeseman was flying, people were angry. They were disgusted, but mostly angry. And I feel you people. So they beg the king to punish the family in the worst way possible. So the king decided that the women would be burned to death and the men dismembered and left to bleed to death. Wow. Now there are no factual documents to make this story true, which is why I say it's only a legend. But some think the legend of Sawney Bean was an English propaganda stunt to sell books. Mm -hmm. So the books were sold in England, which at this time had a prejudice against the Scottish. The people of Scotland were often portrayed as barbarians during the late 17th century. During this time, Scotland was trying to take the British throne. The name Sawney was used during this time to describe a Scottish character. So whether it be a true story or just a legend, the story of the cannibal family in the caves still inspired the movie by Wes Craven, the hills have eyes. Such a crazy legend. I've never heard it before. So I was like, what? Crazy. Now the last movie I want to mention is a cult classic. Grab your rosarios, pray to Jesus, because we are talking about The Exorcist. Now one of the biggest profiting horror movies, this 1973 horror classic was one of a kind, truly. I can't imagine being alive during this movie coming out I mean, if I were to go see it, my parents would have disowned me. Like, literally. <laughs> Such a stab at uh, religion. This movie opened a door to enrage religions around the world and piss off a lot of Christians. So real quick, the movie is about a young girl who becomes possessed, not by one, but many demonic entities, and it shows the struggles of the family and the priest trying to help the young girl too. But did you know the movie is loosely based on a true story. That story is about a young boy given the name Roland Doe. The story takes place in 1949, in the late 1940s, in suburban Washington, D.C. A German-American family had lived there and had a 13-year-old son named, anonymously, Roland Doe to protect him. Also known as Robbie Mannheim? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, just because he was a minor, the papers that would write about this um, gave him the name Roland or Robbie. So Roland had recently lost his Aunt Harriet, 
who was a spiritualist who taught Roland a few things. Now, one of those things was how to communicate with spirits using a spirit board. Oh, shit. Here we go. <laughs> After the passing of his aunt, Roland continued to try to communicate with the spirits, probably more so because he wanted to actually talk to his aunt. Now, in early January 1949, he began to experience some strange things. He claimed that he would hear scratching sounds on the floors and walls of his room. Water would randomly drip from the walls. And strangest of all, his mattress would move around on its own while he was sleeping. The family was in shock and searched for help because they too witnessed this. They went to doctors, psychiatrists, ministers, and eventually they turned to a local Catholic priest. His name was Father E. Albert Hughes, who eventually got permission to perform an exorcism. So in late February of 1949, Father Hughes and the boy's family strapped him to a mattress. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, that wouldn't be my first thought to helping somebody. Let's strap him down. But okay. And so they began the ceremony. But Roland became super violent. And the rite was stopped because the boy actually broke his restraints, tore into the mattress, pulled a spring, and slashed the priest on the shoulder. So that was a fail. <laughs> and I guess good thing you did strap him down. Not that it worked. But a few days later, these red marks appeared on the boy that spelled out Louis. So obviously, that meant go to St. Louis. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's what his mom said. But she really felt that they'd find answers there. And they also had family there too, so... Can you imagine that phone call? Hey, Bertha, it's Maud. Um, is it okay if I bring my possessed son to come visit? How do you even go about that? Anyway, so they go to St. Louis and another priest joins in, Father Halloran. And also, Reverend William Bodern. Bodern? Bodern. I think it's Bodern. I don't know. Two priests join in, okay? And they get permission from the archdiocese to perform an exorcism again, but only if they have help or assistance. Because whatever's going on with this little boy was enough for the church to be like, get you some help. So at the famous St. Louis home on Roanoke Drive in March of 1949, they witness Roland being scratched by an unknown force. Like the scratches just appeared on his body. They also witnessed the mattress moving, thrashing back and forth. Now the two priests noticed that Roland would be calm during the day and act out mostly at night, screaming, thrashing, being wild. And he would also slip into a trance and make these guttural sounds. Objects would move or levitate around him and Roland would lose it if he saw any sacred object. So the exorcism was over a month long and although some of those details are part of the movie The Exorcist, there are way more details in the real story. Now during one of the sessions, an X was scratched into Roland's chest. The priest thought it signified the number 10. Another time they saw his leg from his thigh to his ankle be scratched by something, but nothing was there. The two priests claimed that the X or 10 signified that 10 demons had overpowered the boy, but they continued their work anyway. On the evening of March 20th, things got way worse. Ronald urinated all over his bed and began verbally attacking the two priests. His parents had enough. They were done. They were like, fuck this shit. Like, 
They were probably scared more than anything of their own kid. They were just appalled by their son, and they sent him to get medical help at Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis. Now, on April 18th, the Monday after Easter, Roland awoke with a seizure. He yelled to the priest that Satan would always be with him. So they laid holy relics all over him. Later that evening, the priest called upon St. Michael to expel Satan from Roland and battle him for the boy's soul. Seven minutes later, Roland came out of a trance and simply sighed, He's gone. The boy then told of a vision of St. Michael taking down Satan on a battlefield. Okay, St. Michael, seven minutes, that's all it took? Okay, (laughs) I see you. Now from that moment on, the boy had no more episodes of any kind and lived a pretty normal life. In 1971, when an article surfaced about this incident, an author, William Peter Blady, Blady, wrote a book titled The Exorcist, based on the diaries kept by Father Halloran and Bodern. Now, the book was a bestseller for 54 weeks straight and was the idea behind the now-famous 1973 movie. Fun fact, if that's what you want to call it even... <laughs> The hospital room that Roland actually stood in was boarded up and sealed with no comment as to why. The hospital eventually was torn down in 1978 and the family moved to Maryland where their home has since sat empty since 1960. Nobody wants to live there. However, the home on Roanoke Drive in St. Louis was purchased by new owners in 2005 for $165,000. Do you think they know the devil wants to live there? I hope I didn't scare y'all too much. (laughs) And of course, there are more movies based on true stories, so maybe I'll do a sequel to this episode later on. I had, of course, heard brief mention of The Shining and The Exorcist true stories, but researching the entire true story was just wow. Before we leave today, I want to read some fan mail. I guess, (laughs) is what you would call it. Um, The first person I want to mention is Sherry. Thank you for your email, Sherry. Um, I'm not going to read her email, but I'm just going to mention um, Sherry. First of all, thank you for listening. (laughs) Um, But Sherry wanted to ask if I can please translate when I speak in Spanish. And I did write her back and tell her that most of the time when I speak Spanish, which is not often, honestly, Um, it's just to express an emotion or throw in like a slang word. I say it rather often like mi gente, which you guys, that's my people, is what I call you guys. Um, chisme, gossip, those are words you hear quite often. So most of the time when I use a Spanish term or word, it's just like to express an emotion. So it's not really an important detail. I would never give... Unless I'm talking about like Latin culture or something, I would definitely explain myself though. Um, I would never give important information in Spanish without translating. So Sherry, thank you for your email. Um, And I do forget sometimes that not everybody speaks Spanish. If I do speak Spanish on the rare occasion, it's probably not that important. (laughs) Let me go to my Instagram because I know I had some letters there. Um, I want to give a shout out to Chancho Gordito. He said, hi, Lore, just listened to your podcast for the first time, the H.H. Holmes one, and it was great, and you had me laughing. You sound a little like one of my homegirls, and you talk like her too. Yeah, she's Latina. 
So much easier than listening to boring widow podcast banter. Looking forward to listening to more episodes. Also, damn, Holmes was fucking sick, insane, and unfortunately, intelligent. <laughs> I've had a lot of really good feedback on my H.H. Holmes episode. Um, thank you, Chantro. I don't know if that's your real name. I'm going to say it's not because Latinos love giving each other nicknames. Pretty cool name. So thank you for that. I worked really hard on that episode. Um, it's very hard, especially to research things that happened like back in the 1800s and before that. But there are some really good legends and stories that I want to tell. Um, but that's definitely chisme when I tell those stories because you can't really fact check a lot of that stuff. A lot of it is told down by word of mouth. So I'm really happy you guys enjoyed the episode. I really liked it too. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. Felt a little strange recording this because I feel like I'm starting over. <laughs> but I really needed that break. I enjoyed it. It's time to get back to work. Don't forget me, gente. If you want to send me a message or story or anything you want me to research, email me at creepychismetforyou. That's the number 4-Y-O-U at gmail.com. Or if you just want to say hello, I love getting emails. You can also message me on Instagram. Just search Creepy Chisme or Facebook groups. I'll probably get to you faster on Instagram, but I've noticed recently, I've noticed recently that Instagram hides my messages unless I click on the message link. Yeah, really annoying. So I've been trying my best to really try to click on it twice a day just to make sure that I read everybody's messages. Thank you to Chancho and, and Sherry for sending in those messages. Like I said, whatever you want to send me. If you need someone to talk to, if you had a bad day, email me. I don't care. <laughs> I'll read it. I'll respond, most likely. Just give me some time. <laughs> uh, make sure to follow me on TikTok, where I post short stories to keep you in the creepy mood until the next episode. Go comment on my Instagram. Tell me your favorite scary movie. I'm so curious. It's been really fun, mi gente. Can't wait for the next one. Make sure to share this episode with someone you love, some you don't know, some you think will like it. And if you haven't already and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Go give me that five-star rating, leave a comment, and I might just read it on the next episode. Gracias por escuchar y nos vemos pronto. Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, stay creepy and spread the chisme. Adios, mi gente.